Thanks for checking out the V1 Church Podcast. You're in for an amazing message from our lead pastor, Mike Signorelli. We're into the third episode of our series, I Heart My Church, and this is a message you're going to want to lean into and share with a friend. So here it is, episode three of I Heart My Church. (laughs) My name is Mike Signorelli. I'm the lead pastor here at V1. So for better or for worse, you are stuck with me. And... uh, (laughs) This series has been absolutely life-changing. You've heard a lot of propaganda about that, so let's prove that it's true. And if you have a phone and it has a data plan, there's a homeless guy in my neighborhood that I live in Ridgewood, Queens. What, what, what? Any Queens people here? Okay, okay. You're at the wrong location, but whatever. Um, and I try to minister to this guy, and the other day, you know, my heart broke. I was walking past him, and then I noticed he had a phone, and he was watching YouTube, and I was like, bro, come on now. <laughs> How is this working out for you? So I gave him a Dave Ramsey book instead of more money. Um, but, you know, today I believe that God's going to speak to you. And if you want to follow along and take notes, um, how many of you, let's just be real. How many of you have deepened your understanding of scripture as a result of attending this church? Right? How many of you have been going to church for years and yet you've gotten revelation here at this church that you didn't get before? Okay, so here's the thing. It is possible to have a gym membership and not get fit. You're looking at this. This is an object lesson. It's possible to sit in a sermon and not have your life changed. And it's possible to be given seven pages of notes, but never engage with it. And so I'm begging you, I'm imploring you, would you please feed yourself today? Turn to your neighbor and say, feed yourself. Didn't it feel good to talk like that? Feed yourself. Okay, so uh, we're, you know what? We don't have a, a ton of time, so I want to jump into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that my word is going to fall right to the floor, but your word is going to accomplish everything you destined for it. Your word never comes back void. Your word always does what you set it out to do. And Father, today as we go into your word, take information and turn it into revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I love having the kind of church that scares visitors. Isn't that amazing? The kind of church where they're like, I don't know about this. Well, listen, I seen you turn up at the baseball game. I saw you at a Mets game, and you are not about to give the Mets more than you give Jesus, okay? Like, if, you're, if we're rowdy at 9 a.m., uh, just consider us a super fan because he was a fan of me. While I was yet a sinner, he died for me. And so I painted my chest today, and I'm going to rip my shirt off in a few seconds. <laughs> Somebody got too excited for that. Like, it was almost weird, you know? Why don't you turn your Bibles in Genesis chapter 11? Genesis chapter 11. And while you're uh, finding Genesis chapter 11, whether your Bible glows or you have an old school Bible like I do, uh, I want to tell you a story. You know, when I was growing up, we heard these things that we often believe to be true. Like, here's one of them. Maybe this is something that you, a lie that you bought into. If you swallow a watermelon seed, right? Now, we're from two different parts in the U.S., but we both bought the same light. Did anyone other than me believe it? I remember being five years old, and what, how I found out was I told my uncle uh, I accidentally ate a seed. And on, I was kindergarten age. I remember him saying, you messed up, son. <laughs> he said, it's going to, and I, I remember having this, like, 
this, this thought, like, now what do I do? Like, how do I explain to my mom how I'm going to die by watermelon seed? And then here's another one. I don't know if you guys heard this. I'm, this is more curiosity. Had, had you ever heard the, the lie, if you dig a hole deep enough, you'll end up in China? You guys heard that too? Now, here's the problem with telling that lie to a choleric guy like me. When I was eight or nine years old, now my mom just found this out. We were hanging out last week and I was like confessing childhood secrets, you know? Because like I'm old enough now, it's like, what are you gonna do? Whoop me, mom? What, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, mom? You're in my house now, mom. Give you a warm glass of milk, okay? So I'm telling my mom, now I'm about to preach you scripture, okay? But uh, I was telling my mom, I said, when, when I heard that lie that if you dig a hole deep enough, you go to China, we were raised on welfare. So my first thought was, I'm out of here. <laughs> Peace. China has to be better than this. And so I picked this spot between our house and the shed where I thought I could conceal my project. And I went on this summer long project to dig a hole to China. This is like a literal thing. Like, if you know me, you know I've never changed. Like, still, I'm still that crazy. I'm just doing it for Jesus now. But I got this hole so deep. Now I look back and I have kids of my own. And if you're a kid in this auditorium, earmuffs right now, okay? But I, I remember thinking to myself uh, at the time, like, I'm going to accomplish this mission. And I was like, I don't know if you just fall out through the hole into China or like how gravity works, you know, when you try to... But long story short, I got it over my head to where I had to take a ladder from our shed and have to get in and out of this hole with a ladder. I could have killed myself. And eventually I abandoned the plan when I got deep enough to realize it was a lie. But see, what happens is there's two ways primarily that you discover something you believe is a lie. One is you mature, you grow up, and the other one is experience teaches you. And see, there's some things that you think you know about Jesus, but you're getting ready to come into a maturity today. See, there's some things you think you know about the local church, but experience told you this, this, this thing may not be what I thought it was. And so my primary goal today is to, is to tell you that watermelon seeds don't grow in your stomach and that holes don't get, well, I guess you could, couldn't you? But, <laughs> but my point is there are things that we believe about the church that are not, that are not resourced by scripture. There are things that we believe about Jesus that we are not resourced by scripture. And we're, and we're actually going through these charades. We're going through these motions. You know, one of the games that works all over the world in every country I've ever been to is Simon Says. Do you remember that game? Simon Says, put your hand on your head. Simon Says, put your hand on your elbow. Raise your hand. Uh... <laughs> Now, let me tell you why that game is ubiquitous in our culture, because on a biological level, because you are a physical body too. I mean, some people are so spiritual, they don't believe it. They float into church, they float out, but you are a biological being. And what happens is we're hardwired to repeat behaviors, to mirror behaviors. And we do that because what's vital to our survival is being accepted into the larger group. And so if you act too much different than that group, then you will be ostracized and your survival is connected to you being accepted with that group. Did I lose anyone yet? And so Simon says is ubiquitous in our culture because it's actually on a biological level meeting this necessity you have to be accepted by repeating behaviors. 
And when we play that game, it triggers something. But the problem is the Bible says be imitators of Christ because he knows that he can't stop us from being imitators. The thing that we have to choose is who and what are we going to imitate? And so if you're imitating culture and culture says be filled with anxiety, you're going to say I'm filled with anxiety right now. If culture says be depressed, if culture says be afraid, you're going to imitate culture. But we must be imitators of Christ. Do I have any imitators of Christ in this place? And so today, I want to take you through Genesis chapter 11, well into the book of Acts, and I want to show you God's plan for your biology. I want to show you God's plan for your intellect, and I want to show you God's plan for your spirit, because no matter how much you want to intellectualize this, there is a part of your being beyond your brain called your spirit, and the world knows this. Can I get an amen? amen. The world knows this, because you've done everything you could to satiate your mind, but your soul is empty. And so in Genesis chapter 11, what you see is the Tower of Babel. And many of you know this story, but I want to kind of illuminate it for you. You have, this is the equation for the Tower of Babel. You have humanity united on a common mission that wasn't given from God trying to accomplish something supernatural by natural means. That's the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was, if we all get together and we build this thing, we can actually build this infrastructure to go through the stratosphere and we can touch heaven. We can have a supernatural experience by natural unity. The only problem with it is God never told him to do it. And let me just tell you, if you've been hurt by a church, it's probably because the pastor tried to do a supernatural thing by natural abilities and God didn't assign him to it. And we still have towers of Babel being built all over planet Earth. And what happened was at that point in humanity, there was a common shared language. So you didn't have Dios te bendiga, hermanos, right? You didn't have dobre, dobre, dobre. You, you had a common language. So the equation for the Tower of Babel is shared common language, shared common mission not given by God equals... Now, this is where it's going to offend some of your sensibilities. Anything's possible. They were actually going to accomplish it. And God divinely disrupted it, scattered them by dispersing them according to different languages. That's the story that we have from the Tower of Babel. And God's got a better plan than that. And, you know, I think probably the thing that is plaguing our society so much, and this is where much of your confusion comes from, is the idea that you design your own destiny. You will never find that in Scripture. It's a very dangerous thing to think that you can just make your own mission up, not assigned by God, get enough people together in unity to do it and be successful because you'll be calling it success and God will be calling it a tragedy because he'll know what your true calling really is. And not a lot of people are clapping me down because the reality is 98% of you are currently confused about where you are in life and somebody just cried. Right? <laughs> See, 100% of time in scripture, God was concerned about someone's heart. He wasn't necessarily concerned with their abilities, although their abilities were going to be worked on later on in the, the story. He was concerned about the condition of their heart. It was, you know what qualified Mary to give birth to Jesus? Her heart. You know what qualified David to kill giants, even though later on he would be sleeping with Bathsheba, messing up his life full of lust. He had a heart towards God. And God is 
looking for people that have a heart for him. We've preached this in our As It Is in Heaven series, but the very definition of paganism is trying to appease a deity so that your basic necessities are met. That's a heart condition where you say, God, I'm just using you. I just want to try to get something from you, God. And I'm going to treat you this way. I'm going to worship you to get something. I'm going to read the Bible to get something. You know, it's, it's just like getting married because you want to have sex. That's probably not a good reason to get married. The married people are too afraid to say amen. You get a prostitute to have sex, but you get a wife to surrender and sacrifice your life and serve her. Amen. Amen. And sex is the unintended consequence of surrendering and serving and giving your all to your wife. Can I get an amen now? And so if you get married for sex, you might not have good sex. If you come to church to get something from God, you might miss the whole point of why we're here today. And see, the Tower of Babel said, we want to have this intermingling with heaven, but we don't want to do it in cooperation with God. And we certainly don't want to do it for God. We want to do it for ourselves. And there's a lot of ministries that have a logo, but behind the logo, it says Babel. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of things on Instagram and Facebook. But if you could peel back the layers, it says Babel. And God says, you're calling it success, but I'm getting ready to wreck it. Like a wrecking ball. I'm just kidding. So that's Genesis chapter 11. Can you say preach on preacher? I'm going to take it a little bit deeper because see what was happening was humanity was innately picking up on something. They were saying, we know we're supposed to be in unity. See, the world kind of knows that we are the world, right? Remember that? The world sort of knows there should be unity, but we just don't know what to do about it. I mean, you know, let's unify around the Republican Party. Let's unify along the Democrat. Let's we're getting ready to come into that season. Praise God. Turn your phone off now. But we know we should be unified, but we don't know what God's mission is. So God said, I'm going to make it so abundantly clear. I'm going to show up myself. I'm going to tell you myself. I'm going to clothe myself in, a, in the skin of a blue-collar family, I'm going to clothe myself in such a way that you'll miss it unless the information turns into revelation because some are going to call me a carpenter, but some are going to realize I'm the savior of the world. And so God himself shows up and said, hey, they messed it up in Babel, but I'm going to tell you what your purpose is. Go out into the whole world. Tell them about my reckless love. Tell them that God is not some distant being judging every failure, but rather he's a loving father who longs to embrace his children again. Tell them that there's nothing that they could ever do to save themselves, but I'm going to become the perfect sacrifice that unifies us once again. Tell the whole world the gospel, make disciples, and those disciples will make disciples. And he gives that mission in Acts chapter one, mic drop moment, pieces out to heaven, and then leaves us here behind. And then you see the early church begin to play out the epitome of what God called them to do. And it was reckless abandon. Now, fast forward because I preached the first seven chapters of Acts and the other messages. We're going to pick up now in Acts chapter eight. Can I read it to you, church? Later, God's angel spoke to Philip at noon today. I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He got up and he went. Now watch. Oftentimes when God gives you assignments, it will be to do the very thing you don't want to do. 
He said, hey, Philip, go to the desolate road. Go to the road that's desolate. What's the desolate road that you keep avoiding that your destiny is waiting for you on? See, your destiny might be waiting in desolation. It might be in the roads you don't want to go. It might be the thing you don't want to do. You think I wake up wanting to pastor some of you preferential people who are unpleasable? I show up because God said, go to the desolate road. And I'm not afraid to go to the desolate road. And he says, Philip, go to the desolate road. Then all of a sudden, Philip shows up. See, you didn't know you could preach one scripture. There's a, a note for somebody. From Jerusalem down to Gaza, he got up and he went. See, right there, some of you, th that, that right there is the linchpin for the entire. It didn't say he went to seminary, received training, thought he was ready, then he went. It didn't say he attended all the business meetings, learned everything, read every book, then he went. It said he got up and he did it. And done is better than perfect every day of the week. What are we doing, pastor? I don't know, but we're doing something. And while they're still planning, we're executing. And I can fix it. And that's better than trying to do it in the first place. And you never did it. He got up and he went. That's the miracle. Because some of us are too afraid to get up and go. And it says this. He got up and he went. He went. On, uh, this is my favorite part. He met an Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. He had a divine appointment. He had a collision course with destiny. The eunuch had been given, he had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia where he was a minister in charge of all the finances of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So all of a sudden on this desolate road, here comes this Uber. And it's not just a regular Uber. It's not a shared Uber. It's an Uber black. Praise God. This Ethiopian was in charge of the finances. I mean, this guy was a guy of prominence. So he comes rolling on dubs. He's got a whip. It's not a car. It's a whip. And he is reading the prophet Isaiah. He was on a pilgrimage. See, he was a truth seeker. See, everyone says, well, I don't want to invite my friend to church. They don't want Jesus. Are you kidding me? This Ethiopian didn't look like the people of Israel. I don't know if you've ever looked at an Ethiopian, looked at someone from Israel. They look different, different skin color. But he said, there's something inside of me that's bearing witness that that Messiah is the savior of the world. And so he goes on this pilgrimage. He's a truth seeker. I love truth seekers. God loves truth seekers. I may not have it figured all, all out, but I want truth. One thing that I learned very quickly about New York is the root of the skepticism isn't hatred. 9-11 showed us how loving New York can truly be. But actually, the root of the skepticism is, hey, I don't want to be sold a lie. I'm standing in front of you as your pastor right now, and some of you still don't believe that I want the best for you. But see, there's this thing inside of us that's like, I don't want to know that when I look back down the corridor of time, I see a life wasted believing some man's lies. And I give this Ethiopian props because he, he has gone on this pilgrimage in search of truth. And how many of you know the, the dangerous thing about seeking truth is that as you go on a journey to seek truth, God will hit you in the head with a two by four of truth. I mean, that, I was an atheist in college. I said, I'm just looking for truth. And God said, truth about to hit you, son. I moved in randomly in a four-bedroom house, and one of the roommates ends up being an, an, a, literally a, a theological scholar. Well, wow. Tell me your story. Well, I used to be a preacher. 
I used to be a man of God. I walked away. I'm an atheist. Now, what are you? I'm a theologian. Let's sit down. Let's talk. God was like, got him. (laughs) This Ethiopian's reading Isaiah, but he has the information, but no revelation. And God's saying, got him. I got my boy Philip on mission right now. I got him on mission right now. And then he says to him, he says, Philip, the spirit told, say the spirit told. See, if more of your ideas could be prefaced with the spirit told, you'd be more successful. See, when it comes from here, if it has natural origins, it has natural consequences. But if it has supernatural origins, it has supernatural provisions. So the spirit told him, you see that chariot running alongside? Philip heard the Enoch reading the book of Isaiah said, no, this is the funniest part. He literally says, you see this, this chariot? I need you to jump in it, Philip. Can you imagine a, an Uber black is rolling by and the Holy Spirit's like, get in it now. And I want to say this. We have a mass exodus of men in churches in America. The men have just said, I'm out in most churches in America because men are intrinsically designed for extreme danger. Like we love it. That's why a man will cheat in the context of a relationship, not even because he wants the romance, he wants the danger. It's why we shoot guns and hunt stuff and strangle stuff and we like blood. And I mean, I'm not stereotyping, but I'm stereotyping. (laughs) And we are exiting the churches because we have castrated the church. It's the body of Christ missing something. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry if I offended you, but it's about time that the church starts getting dangerous again and maybe our men will come back because all these missing seats are the men voting with their absence. I don't want to be a part of something that's not genuine. I don't want to be a part of something that's not real. I don't want to be a part of something that doesn't challenge me. I want something that looks like the Holy Spirit telling me to jump in an Uber and me jumping in an Uber. It's the spirit of Philip. This whole thing was started on martyrdom. I mean, it's men who said, I'll die. And other men are like, sign me up for something that crazy. Guess what? Welcome to V1 Church, because we are that crazy. I'm all about time. And then it says this. He jumps in, and then he looks at, now, can you imagine? He jumps in the chair. He says, hey, what are you reading? All of a sudden, the eunuch says, you know what? I'm, I'm reading Isaiah. But then all of a sudden, Philip perceived this man has all the information, but he has no revelation. See, there's many of you who have been through the Christian programming. Many of you went to parochial schools that your parents paid a lot of money for you not to pay attention. (laughs) That's not a diss. That was their bad. (laughs) And you went through all the religious programming and all it did. See, sometimes when you put rain on a hard soil, all it does is harden it more. And see, what happens is you need a bulldozer like Mike Signorelli and V1 Church to come in and break up the follow ground of your heart. And see, what had happened was he went on this pilgrimage. He's reading Isaiah. He has the information, but no revelation. And then Philip says, guess what? You're about to meet the person that's being prophesied in this book because the Bible is full of prophecies that are an indicator that God foreknew what was getting ready to happen. And therefore, he is bigger and better than us. And his ways are higher than us. And you can't surrender to someone or something that's not higher than you. So stop trying to figure God out and get into his presence, somebody. And this eunuch was on a pilgrimage trying to figure it all out, trying to intellectualize it. And God says, no, no, no. It's not about figuring it out. It's about getting in, getting into my presence. 
Philip begin to create this atmosphere of God's presence. And then all of a sudden it says this. It says, running along, up, alongside Philip jumps in. He says, it's the prophet Isaiah. And he says, tell me, who is this prophet talking about? I want to know. See, in our fear, we say, I don't want to invite my friend to church. I don't want to tell that person about Jesus. I'm going to get rejected. But you know, in this whole story, Philip never gets rejected because this person's already seeking truth. Your friend at work is already seeking for truth. They don't want to live a lie. They don't want to look at their life and say that I was duped. They want to know the truth. The people of New York, they want to know the truth. And see, they're not going to reject you. They're not going to turn you down. As a matter of fact, they're saying, hey, I've got these closeted, I've got these closeted nightmarish realities where I cut myself. And so when I bleed, I remind myself that I'm still capable of feeling, but you don't see the scars on my legs but I'm desperate. She, please tell me Jesus is real. Please tell me he still saves because I need a savior. So you got people at work that are taking a pill to get through work. You got people that you're surrounded with are saying, man, I just want to play Simon Says and I want somebody to say, Simon Says, get free this time. Simon Says, lift your hands and worship. Simon Says, do all I've called you to do. They're just waiting to repeat something that's worth repeating because they've repeated every single thing else and it's brought destruction into their life. And Philip desperately wanted that. But see, just like the Tower of Babel, they had the information, but they didn't have a revelation. And what I love about the early church is when you have the equation, it's actually God's mission plus unity plus his supernatural provision. I'll speak through angels. I'll speak through my Holy Spirit. I'll resource you. I'll open up doors that no natural arms can open. I'll do whatever I have to do to provision my mission. And they built the very thing that Babel was a counterfeit for. I don't know why I feel led to say this to somebody, but you've spent your entire life trying to build something, but you've been missing the equation of intimacy with God. Jesus prayed every day before he did anything else. It was his first fruit. He would wake up and he would say, this is the most rested I'm going to be. So the most important work I can do from this place of rejuvenation of sleep is intimacy with God. The only thing the disciples ever asked him to teach him how to do is do that. Teach me how to do that thing where you get alone with God. Because out from that place is the power source of everything else. Philip had an encounter with God. He knew God. He had intimacy with God. And it birthed this mission. And the early church is in unity and it goes forth. What would happen if this church started to look at like the church of Acts? But see, here's what happens so often. Is you see the words. For maybe you, it looks like this. Just like the eunuch who's, the eunuch is looking at the scroll and he's reading Isaiah and he has the information, but he doesn't have a revelation. Maybe when you see J-E-S-U-S, what you see is your father, your friend that sticks closer than a brother. I mean, you see this and you're like, oh man, I once was blind, now I see. You see this, you see intimacy, you see freedom. But maybe you're looking at this like the eunuch and you're saying, you know what I see? People have used this name to kill people. 
people have used this name to steal from them and manipulate them and control them. But see, where my words fall short today, you know what I so desperately need? I so desperately need the Holy Spirit to take this word and give you a revelation about the fullness of who Jesus really is. Maybe a pastor messed that up. Maybe a guy in a suit trying to steal from you messed this up. But the Holy Spirit in this moment can take J-E-S-U-S and give you a revelation where the information has been abused. But there's some others You're looking at the scroll. You see this. C-H-U-R-C-H. And you know what this means to you? Years of your life wasted. You know what this means to you? A place where you invested everything and feel like you have nothing to show for it. Waking up early, going to bed late, blood, sweat, and tears for someone else's vision, and you never reaped a harvest off of the seeds that you sowed in another man's field. And when you say, see, when you see this word, you have information, it's informing you from your past. Maybe it's a religious experience where you were bored out of your mind every single week waiting for it to be over. Maybe this is something that you see in the connotation of this word. It's just checking off a checkbox and you realize long ago you're not good at lists. And so you walked away. But I have to believe right now in this moment that the Holy Spirit has given you a revelation whereas you just had information and C-H-U-R-C-H begins to be real. It's calling deep to deep. It's saying this is an army that has an enlistment. This is a team that has a roster. This is your destiny. You cannot be successful without this. This is the thing Jesus died for. It's called his bride. He's a groom waiting, waiting for you, waiting for you. This is love. This is adoration. This is sacrifice. This is him saying, even though they mess it up, I can do what Babel messed up. I can give you a revelation where you just have information, but maybe you got a revelation on this, but maybe this is where it all falls apart for you. L O. V-E. And you've got all the information. I, I get it. You love me on my good days. You love me with all my makeup on. You love me after I worked out. I get it. You love me like you love pizza. I get it. You love me when I serve, but not when I'm sick. I get it. Yeah, I get love. You love me when I have money. Oh, I get it. You love me when I sin like you. I get it, L-O-V-E, love. Yeah, yeah, the church loves you as long as you look like them. Yeah, the church loves you as long as you act like them. L-O-V-E, I've counseled people who were molested by people who said I love you while they did it. And you see this word, multiple divorces. Yeah, I remember saying that word every single time where are they now but it doesn't mean if you're a truth seeker you got to please hear me if you're a truth seeker it doesn't mean that there's not a reality to this love 
because love is not a word. Love is a person. Love is Jesus Christ. See, they might have uttered the word. They may have said it, but he showed it, and he wants to show it today. He wants to show it to you. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to show you love is two outstretched hands saying, you will never be able to pay me back for how much I'm going to give you and lavish upon you. I'm that good. I love you that much. And see the proof that the church is real, the proof that Jesus is real is that supernatural love shining through broken vessels. And it says these jars of clay in their brokenness somehow let this love through. And that was the proof that the other things were true too. Would you stand on your feet, church? If you're here today and you need to receive that love in your being, because see, from that love, you will launch the mission. From that love, you will be unified to accomplish what God has, and the, and the confusion will dissipate. If you're here and you want to receive the fullness of love, which is the person of Jesus Christ, would you just lift your hand right now? With everyone's hands lifted, I want this whole place right now to repeat this prayer. You're just going to borrow my words right now. The Bible says that the power of life and death are in your tongue. And the Bible also says that fresh water and spring water, uh, salt water cannot come out of the same spring. In other words, it's time to start speaking life. You're not speaking death over your situations. You're not speaking death over yourself and your purpose. We're about to make a declaration of life in this place. You ready? Come on, everyone repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, restore in me a revelation of your love. I receive the cross and your sacrifice so that I can be free. And today, I give you my life. I surrender to you. Fill me with your love. In Jesus' mighty name, now somebody shout amen. Come on, let's lift it up, church. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the V1 Church Podcast. Do us a favor, give this podcast a five-star rating and share it on your social media so your friends and family can experience this message. We'll see you next time.